everything hungers. We humans crave nourishment and hunger for fulfillment. Even the very ground beneath our feet hungers for the light of the sun and the tears of the sky. We are surrounded by a world that wishes to feast. Of course, for the most part, what is hungered for is something that doesn't always affect us, or would even benefit us. That is good, but not always the case. For even things unseen may hunger, and what they seek will surely have them looking at us with a devouring gaze. Broadcasting on WCRX 88.1 FM, directly from Chicago's underground, I'm Peyton Zignego with Channel Vale, lifting up that which divides the known from the unknown. desire to be hungry and needing. That is something that stems from long evolutionary lines in the sand, guiding us towards our next action. Everything alive is linked with a shared urge to consume and be finally full and satisfied. Oh, but it's not only the living that share this desire. That would be an unfair statement to make in full confidence. No, it is fairer to say that everything is linked with hunger. We corporeal living things are not the only ones with desires and needs. There are things unseen that are much more ravenous than we, and bad luck befalls those who come to know what they need to be satiated. Field reporter Nadia and I recently had a first-hand run-in with something looking to feast on us. At least that's what we were led to believe based on everything that we encountered and were subjected to. Thankfully, we made it safely back to the studio after last week's adventure. <laughs> I think camping and exploring on remote islands is something that we will not be doing in the future after that. Frankly, I don't think we have the budget for it again, but that's neither here nor there. You'd be surprised how pricey all that equipment can get. Of course, it was all station money, so no harm, no foul. Right? Right. Don't tell any of my higher-ups, okay? I, uh... <laughs> already promised Nadia, if she didn't say anything, that I wouldn't force her on another excursion like this for at least until the end of the year. But I might not have to worry about Nadia sharing some of the monetary details since she's taken to only speaking via passive-aggressive post-it note messages on the glass between our two desks. I can guess that the reason is because she is still angry with me for dragging her out of the station and quote-unquote trapping her in my doomed quest as if it isn't our job to explore the unexplored. Well, I won't apologize for trying to be a good journalist, even if it did almost get us killed. But that's neither here nor there as well. You're not journalisming correctly if you're not on the brink of death, right? I mean, that's what they said in my three-week online journalism certification course, at least. I put the journal that inspired our quest out into the Danube River on the station record shelf with my other items that should have been banned from coming into my presence. I also took the liberty of finishing up the journal myself. The original owner was unable to for, well, a reason I can only guess was untimely death, but I can't say for certain. <laughs> so I went ahead and did it for him. I'm sure my liberal usage of stickers and glitter gel pen and cute printed photos of me and Nadia really improved the overall appeal of the thing. 
You'd think that an island actively out to kill you wouldn't make for a good backdrop for pictures, but you'd be wrong. In fact, it makes the Candids feel all the more in the moment. For Nadia's sake, I think we can put that chapter of investigation officially behind us. We lived through the ordeal, got a great broadcast out of it, and even managed to finish a possibly dead man's adventure. I think it was a success for the station. And I am choosing to ignore Nadia's newest posted edition that just says no in very heavy-handed black marker. I hope that didn't bleed onto your desk, Nadia. It looks like it'd be very hard to clean up. I think she's ignoring another great plus of the trip and that I got a lot of outdoor enrichment time, which is important for a radio host. Don't get me wrong, I love my security camera setup where I can look at the trees outside all I want, but nothing beats seeing trees in person and being tirelessly hunted down by them. <sighs> I love nature. Oh, and for those of you worried about the station while I was gone, trust me, I was included in that group. Everything is a-okay. The microphone was deeply missed, but she managed just fine on her own. Well, I did pay a babysitting service to come in and check up on everything while we were away from the station. This was apparently an uncommon request, but I can't imagine any station host being okay with letting their poor little Mike stay back all alone for a week. I am better than that anyway. Now, as for actual development goes, I sent a copy of the newly finished journal to our outsourced scientific researcher friends. I feel like I can safely call us friends now. And I got a response back in the mail just yesterday. Of course, there was a lot of mail to sort through since we'd been gone for so long, but more of that to come, I, I promise. First and foremost, it seems they started with a slap on my wrist for so recklessly going out into the wilderness following the trail of a presumed doomed dead man. But they added that they are glad I did not request that they themselves go out. As I've stated before, that's just good journalism. But I can't expect scientist types to understand that, as they've never been out on the trail of a good story. I forgive you for the unneeded reprimand. They continued by- Oh! <laughs> oh! Nadia! No need to be so aggressive with your post-it notes. They stick just fine without the unnecessary aggression when you stick them up. Huh. <clears throat> uh, this one says, it was needed. Uh, Nadia, you should know just as well as I do that journalism rewards courage and standing strong in the face of danger. I don't want to hear another complaint. Please. <laughs> okay, she's turned away from me and seems to be scribbling something angrily in her journalist notebook. I'll leave her to that. <laughs> anyway, the report from the scientist continued as they apparently looked through the pictures and written statements I provided them. They wrote that... Most of the pictures are unhelpful, as they are just really blurry photos of you and your field reporter. Not much in the way of scientific discovery. Oh. Oh. Come on, I circled some of the instances of supernatural interaction with the island itself. <laughs> Come on! Okay, they also wrote, The circles are greatly unhelpful, as they are only marking your blurry shadows. Please refrain from drawing on presumed evidence. Oh. Come on! <sighs> you know what? Maybe that's enough of that for now. I think Nadia and I gave you more than enough good investigative evidence for things that I really don't need confirmation on of what we saw from them. Of course, I appreciate their response. It's hard enough to get people to send that much our way. I think I'll leave it at that. I'm pretty sure I can send something convincing that they'll take very seriously soon enough. <sighs> I think it's time we move on.
don't you? Well, while we were away, we acquired quite a few pieces of mail. Naturally, of course, as the mail doesn't stop for anyone, except Sundays. Most of the mail was admittedly uninteresting. A few bills came in that I have unceremoniously shoved under my desk and will be ignoring until I feel like they've earned the right to be addressed. That wasn't the only thing that the mail carrier gave to us over our time away, thankfully. How boring it is to only get bills that don't give any sort of insight into the inner workings of the world. Though, they do give inner workings into some world that I do not wish to take part in. The business world. Ugh. We also received several statements and written accounts. A great flood of information for us to dig into with our grave digging shovels. Naturally, they were sorted first and foremost, but one caught my eye right away. This account shall be the subject of today's broadcast and the first step of our return into our regularly scheduled programming as we move back into normalcy from the events of that dreaded island. Well, as close to normalcy as we can get over here anyway, which is admittedly not what the average population above us would define it as. This statement begins with a notice that our author was writing this to share with us their tale on a request of the friend they originally shared it with by ear. They state that on the water's edge of their property, there rises a great withered stone tower and several old ruins. It's a lovely spot, hardly a house to be seen, and in view of where they place their preferred outdoor dining spot, there sits a strange mound that appears, under the light of the moon, to resemble a grave. On the night they dined with the referenced company, it was reported that their friend, a man referred to in the report as Holger, pointed out the strange shape. According to them, it is an effect of the moonlight that the mound appears to have a corpse resting atop it, but when one goes down to investigate, the illusion disappears altogether, though they make it a point to say that no matter how much light the moon reflects or where it sits in the sky, the illusion is always present. They continue by saying that they watched as Holger went down to the mound to investigate himself. This is when the shape on top of the mound changes. As soon as Holger draws close, the thing, as they call it, shifts to place itself on its knees and wraps ghastly white arms around the man's torso. They watch as the thing rises to its feet with the man in its grasp. Holger pulls away, called back to join his friend and leave the sight. As he does so, the thing is torn apart, drawn into mist, and then into nothingness. According to this account, Holger could not see the thing as it wrapped itself around him, nor could he feel its ice-cold hands as they clawed at him and tried to use him to pull itself onto its feet. It was only visible as an observer, using the light of the moon to catch the glimpse of the thing tearing itself into sight. The only thing that marked the presence of something not meant to be there was the rush of cold down the spine and the deep instinctual feeling that something was wrong and something wanted you to turn around and look at it. But that is just what was left behind, a whispered memory only given allocated space to exist in the light of the moon, merely a reflection of a reflection. The author continues and writes that there is a tale that explains this strange occurrence, but of course provides little comfort as the story itself, they remark, is unsettling in of itself. Their account begins on the same land that they now own, in the very spot where they were sharing dinner with a friend. An old man with a fortune was working to fix up the place. He hired two masons to aid in this effort, and a maid he had paid to come in and help take care of things around the place, as his only living family was one son. According to what was written, the son's name was Angelo, and he was someone beloved by many in the area. There is one other recurring name in the story, Christina. She was seemingly a free-spirited woman who was said to be smitten with this Angelo, 
though her feelings were not returned, as he was to wed a wealthy woman whom he was in love with. Now there's a proper love triangle in place. The stage is set for dubious mystery. Oh, I know I meant to focus on unnatural areas of a report, but I do love a good romance subplot. The last time we had something like that, uh, it ended badly, didn't it? Ah, well, there's always hope, right? <laughs> ah. The recounted tale continues, as now Angelo's father falls ill. Christina, who was known to take any odd job for meal and pay, was sent out to fetch a doctor from a nearby town, so off she went. However, once she left, all became lost and the old man died. Fear swept any onlookers, and all fled the scent of death as it began to permeate the house. All but the two masons who had been hired to fix the worn, towering home. No, they were here for the old man's riches, which they took from under the bed and fled into the night, using death scent as cover. The pair ran, allegedly, down to near the water and found a place to bury the box, in the gorge near enough that they may escape with it into the water later. This chosen location was none other than where the mound and that thing now sit in the moonlight. Now, they recount, Christina passes the scene. She's made a path that leads her to the same spot the men are burying their spoils. Their fates are interwoven at once, and Christina's was sealed. One shovel slammed to the head, and she's down. She was buried alive with the box. The Masons returned to the town quickly, to set up their alibi, no doubt. But Christina... Surely she perished quickly, succumbing to the cool earth surrounding her. Now the account continues as- Heck! <laughs> Nadia! Seriously! <sighs> we need to find a better way to communicate than you slamming your notes into the glass, please! <sighs> okay. <sighs> well, while I go see what's got Nadia in such a tizzy, I'll let you hear the sweet whispers of other messages. <sighs> I'll be hastily back. Broadcasting back at Chicago's Underground on WCRX 88.1 FM, this is Channel Vale. Okay, we're sorted, and we're back. This is Channel Vale, still live on WCRX 88.1 FM, and thankfully back in Chicago's Underground. Much cozier than hostile islands, that's for sure. And I've safely admitted that for Nadia to hear. Apparently, her most recently annoyed outburst was on account of the fact that I had gone too long without admitting that I am much happier behind a desk and not forcing my coworkers out on dangerous excursions. I guess, according to her, I need to say it more often now so she can feel some sort of sick satisfaction with herself. I suppose I can respect that to some degree, but I do wish she'd admit it was at least a little fun to get chased around together. It's investigating. It's thrilling. It's all about the chase. We are... Okay. Okay. She's shaking her head at me with her arms crossed again. I guess that's an improvement from angry post-it notes, but still means that I'm disappointing her by going on and on. Okay. Okay. Fine. I'll continue with the regularly scheduled report. I'll be good. Ahem. <laughs> our written report continues as we pick back up into our author's tale that they've so graciously shared with us. So, Angelo, the son of our deceased landowner, has been left fortuneless as they find the box of riches stolen, and he's left penniless as he was forced to pay for the funeral of his now late father, and Christina is presumed missing, though the Masons who had stolen the fortune of the dead and the livelihood of Angelo ran off into the night and were never caught. Justice remains unserved and bodies remain undiscovered. Now, though, it's reported that poor Angelo had lost everything aside from his home with his father's fortunes. 
The woman he was set out to marry broke it off when he admitted his new status as broke. Ouch. He did his best to cultivate the land he was left, trying to grow food for himself after working all day. Then it said he would wander the town and the water's edge all alone before he went to bed, even before it was hardly dark out. This admittedly sad existence led him to strange dreams. He found that he was never alone when he slept, for it said that in his dreams a woman would approach him. She would walk up soundlessly from the gorge on the edge of his waking property and watch him. According to this account of his words, she had lips that shone red through the memories of dreams and teeth like knives that pointed out from the smile she gave sleeping Angelo. Stranger still, even through the veil of sleep and dreams, it said he knew this dreamed woman was Christina. Each night, as Angelo retired to bed, she would get ever closer to him, first watching him from afar, then close enough that he could see the hollows of her starving cheeks. According to this, he came to walk down to the gorge in his dreams, and he got ever closer to Christina's visage. She held a power over him, pulling him further into her with her touch and her lips pressed up against his throat neither of which he could tell if it was still part of a dream or not. The moonlight would reflect on the thing that sat on the mound near the gorge, and would reflect that now it was no longer alone in the night. Angelo woke in the morning, weak and weary and not where he was meant to be. Instead of in his bed as he had placed himself in his waking hours the night before, he was on the mound, alone. Apparently he went back to work that day, ever drained, and vowed he would not return to the gorge or the mound, no matter what his dreams tried to persuade him with. In the evening, he made his way back home, but was compelled to stop at the fork in the road. One way led back towards his bed, and the other towards the gorge, where the woman with red lips and white sharp teeth waited on a mound of earth, waited on her grave. Angelo, it is said, for a moment resisted the pull of the gorge, resisted the pull of the thing that used to be Christina. That could only last so long. As pulls do, he was eventually submerged in the waves of the draw, and he turned to the gorge and back to the mound where, as if he was dreaming, he felt the ghost of her place her sharp teeth against his neck and drain him. His fate, too, was then sealed. Knotted in her calling, every night when he would do his best to return home, he would always find himself back at the water, back down in the gorge, and back down in her grasp. Despite any resistance he could muster, there was nothing he could do to avoid his inevitable appearance in the gorge. Finally, this event was spotted by a man named Antonio. He knew this was the work of something evil and unearthly, so he went to a priest. Naturally, these events were of great concern, so the two men ventured back to the gorge and the mound when night fell again. As continuously reported, the moon's light shone upon the gorge and the mound and reflected off two shapes, a man and a woman the woman tearing at the man's neck, latched and feeding. When they mustered the courage to make their way down, the lamp's light came upon the face of a drained Angelo. He was pale and bleeding from a wound in his neck, but there was a second face too. At the edge of the pool of light, there was a woman's face, her lips shining red and trickles of blood decorating the corners of her mouth. Antonio leapt into action, but the second he set out to attack the thing that was not Christina, it disappeared into the night leaving nothing behind but the faint call of a woman's scream that faded into the night. The account continues to say that the two men began to dig into the mound to see what laid under the earth. Antonio had brought with him a carved wooden stake, and he intended to utilize it. What happened next is not known to anyone but Antonio. He has never spoken of what he saw in that hole, in the ground, or what happened with the stake he had carved beforehand. A woman's shriek radiated out into the night, but that was the only sound from that hole. 
All that is reported is that Antonio clawed his way out of the grave, bloodied and with eyes wide and frightened. He ravenously pushed dirt and rocks back into the hole from which he emerged, but that is all. He has said nothing of it since, but reportedly has never been the same. He is haunted. And Angelo? He fled. He hasn't been seen since, so his whereabouts are quite unknown. Even we couldn't track him down, which, of course, we tried. And that is where we are left. The thing that is no longer Christina stays on the mound in the gorge, waiting for the moonlight to bring it to life and capture its image as it lays in the dirt and waits for someone to draw close enough to be ensnared. Though it's clear from what was written in this account, it no longer has the power to compel people down to the water to be drained as it once did. Whatever Antonio risked his mind to do, he has stripped it of its power. Now all that remains is the remnants of a whisper and a desire to feed. Perhaps that is what will remain of all of us in the end. Just the whispers of our desire. If they are good, I should think that the remnants of our hope drift and leave a whisper of peace in the air. Our hunger for love and fulfillment leaving others with a passing warm feeling. That feels like a good thought to me. Of course, this tale indicates that there are dangers to leaving your hunger behind. Danger to finding something that is hungry. Maybe we should take up the habit of leaving little saucers of blood out for beings that are left drifting through unlife with hunger in their husks. Maybe that should be the Channel Veil vale act of good. Oh, <laughs> Nadia, I have a great idea for the little supernatural vampiric creatures around our place. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. Okay, I must calm myself. I have to finish up here first. <laughs> Now the night has closed around us, and the curtains have drawn on both this day and this broadcast. Do not let the moonlight show you visions of evil, but if it does, please send us a letter. <laughs> We'd love to hear about it. Oh, oh, but there's one more thing before I get off of this night's radio wave stage. I talked a lot about our adventures out of the station, but if you didn't hear that broadcast live, don't worry. It has been uploaded as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Channel Vale. That's Vale spelled V-E-I-L. Nadia makes sure to convert all of our broadcasts to podcast and uploads them each week at the same time we go live with a new one. That way you have plenty to listen to while you wait for us to come back live next Saturday. Speaking of which, I do hope you'll return to hear my voice live again next week. Broadcasting, as always, from my proper place in Chicago's underground, this has been Channel Vale. Today's newscast was brought to you by WCRX 88.1 FM and For Blood is the Life by F. Marion Crawford. I've been Peyton Zignego, letting the veil between you and the world of the unknown once again slide back into place. For now, thank you so very much for listening. <laughs>